Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are our top stories. The first batch of hostages taken by Hamas was released as the fighting came to a temporary halt this morning. What we've learned about the situation. Presidential hopefuls ramp up campaign efforts ahead of the Iowa caucuses. We bring you their Thanksgiving messages, some serious, others more lighthearted. President Biden using Thanksgiving to deliver a message of hope. Find out what he says about American hostages around the world. A cluster of pneumonia cases echoing the 2019 pandemic, a troubling situation now unfolding inside China tied to sick children and censorship. Helping Finland bolster its borders, the European Union is sending police to the country. What's driving the sudden move? What comes to mind when people think about Thanksgiving? Spectators at America's oldest Thanksgiving Day Parade share their thoughts. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. And that's Kevin Hogan standing in for Chris Beers today. Welcome, Kevin. Welcome, everyone, to NTD News Today. We have insights and perspectives on the stories shaping our world. Breaking news, in-depth analysis, and inspiration to power your day. Now for our top stories. The first group of hostages taken by Hamas is returning to safety. The initial group of 13 hostages, all women and children, were freed near Gaza's border with Egypt at 4 p.m. local time today. The Israel Defense Forces said they had completed preparations for receiving the hostages, including making ready the initial reception site, as well as necessary medical provisions and support. In exchange, Israel agreed to release 39 Palestinian prisoners, including 24 women and 15 minors, from the West Bank or Jerusalem. The prisoners were handed over to the International Committee of the Red Cross at an Israeli military jail. At the same time, a four-day ceasefire went into effect this morning at 7 a.m. local time. Moments before the handover, Thailand's Prime Minister also confirmed that 12 of the country's citizens were released in addition to the 13 Israeli hostages. The hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, former National Security Advisor John Bolton is now commenting. He was on the Katz and Cosby show criticizing the deal. What they really want to do, and this is the real play, is to turn this four-day pause uh, into a permanent ceasefire. Now, I don't think they're going to achieve that at the first iteration, but they're trying to put the onus on the Israeli forces if and when they begin hostilities again. The deal will free 50 of the roughly 240 hostages Hamas is holding. In return, 150 Palestinian detainees will be released from Israeli prisons. The Palestinian detainees are also women and children. Bolton criticized the deal as favoring Hamas by three to one. Bolton also says the four-day ceasefire helps Hamas much more than it helps Israel. That's because Hamas needs a break, while Israel does not. The Israeli government announced the deal early Wednesday morning following the Israeli cabinet's approval. Bolton alleges the key reason Israel accepted the deal was pressure from the Biden administration. Political talks at the family dinner table. It's part of the Thanksgiving experience. Now President Biden wants his supporters to push back on pro-Trump speech from relatives. 
The Biden campaign released a guide on Thanksgiving calling your, called Your Handy Guide for Responding to Crazy MAGA Nonsense This Thanksgiving. It lists a number of talking points on the economy, social security, immigration, and the polls. For example, if someone says the economy was better during Trump, the guide tells people to say that inflation is the lowest it's been in two years and that former President Trump had the worst jobs record since the Great Depression. The guide also claims Trump didn't secure the border and that if re-elected, Trump will round up Latinos into mass detention camps. The Biden campaign published the guide the same day Biden urged Americans to, quote, stop the rancor over political differences. The Iowa caucuses are less than two months away. Presidential candidates are using Thanksgiving to appeal to voters. Former President Donald Trump and Governor Ron DeSantis took their Thanksgiving messages online. Take a look. This is a difficult time for our country, but do not lose heart or lose hope, because by the time we celebrate next Thanksgiving, our nation will be well on its way to being stronger, safer, more prosperous, and greater than ever before. Once again, happy Thanksgiving, and God bless you all. Well, hello. I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, in 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, uh, put out a proclamation uh, advising the American people to thank God for all the blessings of this country. And that was in the midst of the bloodiest battle, internal battle that the country's ever seen. And so as we get ready to sit down for Thanksgiving dinner with our families this time, we see the problems in our country. Uh, we see that we hit the skid. Candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, meanwhile, posted this video with the description, running for president in Iowa today. Literally, happy Thanksgiving. President Biden yesterday delivered pumpkin pies to firefighters to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. He expressed hope about a pending hostage release in the war between Israel and Hamas. Biden also commented about hostages held in Russia. We ain't giving up. We're going to keep going until we get Thank you. The White House saying your Thanksgiving dinner this year was among the cheapest in history, but... Not everyone agrees, as some Americans tell us they can't afford meat. And today's Iris Tao has more from the White House. On Thanksgiving, President Biden's re-election campaign is running TV ads in key states to tell Biden's economic record. $35 a month. The White House also trying to convince skeptical Americans that prices are dropping on everything from gas to turkey. Well, the cost of a Thanksgiving dinner fell this year. Prices are down for turkey, stuffing. Because wages are rising, this Thanksgiving dinner is the fourth cheapest ever as a percentage of average earnings. But a few residents here in D.C. telling us on Thanksgiving Day that they feel otherwise. It's too high. It's like... The prices are going up, but the salaries aren't going up. So. No, it's not getting cheaper. I just, I, I don't have Thanksgiving this year. You know, it's, it's a luxury, you know, uh, to, 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 uh, to have uh, meat. I stick with the, you know, vegetables and rice and stuff like that. The White House touts the fact that a classic Thanksgiving dinner this year is costing 4.5% less than last year. But the same data set by the American Farm Bureau Federation also shows that this year's Thanksgiving dinner is 30% more expensive than in 2020. And while hourly wages have indeed increased by about 13%, inflation is up 17% since President Biden first took office. Workers today in November of 2023 are actually making less per hour 
after inflation. And polling continues to show high disapproval ratings of Biden's handling of the economy. But the White House stresses that stubborn inflation is caused by the pandemic and that it's taking time for Americans to feel the effect of Biden's efforts to improve the economy. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Americans are donating less to food banks this holiday due to inflation. Last year, almost half said they would donate, but this year, only 25% are likely to contribute. That's according to a recent study by tech company Divert. The study also shows that over 70% of Americans have changed their grocery shopping habits due to high inflation and food costs. Inflation has eased since its peak earlier this year, but the cumulative increase since President Biden took office has been around 20%. Third time the charm for Hillary Clinton. A recent poll names the former first lady as a top choice to replace President Biden were he to drop out of the 2024 election. Most of the Harvard-Harris poll respondents said they have doubts about Biden's mental fitness to serve as commander-in-chief, with a majority believing he's getting worse rather than improving. The top pick to replace Biden was Vice President Kamala Harris with 24 percent, while Clinton was second at 13 percent. Clinton recently drew attention for suggesting a formal deprogramming of Trump supporters, sparking controversy over her remarks. Rounding out the top five were Senator Bernie Sanders at 10 percent and California Governor Gavin Newsom and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, both with 7 percent each. Coming up, expert insights from an economic and national security analyst on Middle East dynamics. What's China's role in the region? New York's one-time sexual assault law has come to an end after affecting some of the state's most famous men. What to know about the Adult Survivors Act? Floating solar panels are seen as a solution for renewable energy, but what impact do they have on the aquatic environment? More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. China has not condemned Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel, but its presence in the Middle East may be shifting international dynamics. So today we're looking at China's role in the Middle East and what it could mean for power dynamics there and further abroad. We have today economic and national security analyst Antonio Graceffa with us. Welcome, Antonio. Hi. Hi. And now, China last month sent its top diplomat to speak with U.S., Israeli, and Palestinian counterparts. It's also been pushing heavily for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war within the U.N. What do you make of China's stance in relation to this war? And as someone who's studied China and knows China really well, what do you think China's ultimate goal is here? Well, China is trying to position itself as, as the peacemaker, as the leader, as the champion of the global south. But it is interesting, you just said that China sent its top diplomat. China did not send its president. China did not send its minister of war, did not send its foreign secretary. The United States sent our president to the Middle East. Interesting. So China really does want to, and has for a long time, wanted to topple US dominance in the world and the international order. And it has made some moves earlier this year in regard to that that were fairly significant, brokering a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. What kind of influence do you think China has now in that region, considering 
the recent changes. Well, China wants to portray itself as having made that deal, uh, but the deal was, this is the deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And um, Qatar was significantly uh, uh, important in making that deal, but China's taking credit for it. China wants to position itself as we are the peacemakers, the U.S. are the war makers. And Antonio, I wanted to know, within a week of the attack, the October 7th terrorist attack, Beijing said that Israel's right to self-defense should be guided by international law. Do you consider that ironic, considering that the Chinese regime has flouted international law by reneging on the Sino-British Joint Declaration and stealing intellectual property and so on? Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely ironic. I mean, China is involved in um, territorial disputes with most of its neighbors. It has um, disregarded uh, decisions that were made by the international court, and now they're telling Israel that they should follow international norms. And earlier this year as well, I want to look back there, the U.S. accused a China-based network of supplying an Iranian drone maker, essentially supplying weapons parts to the lar largest state sponsor of terrorism. How likely is it, do you think, that China could be supplying weapons to Iran at this time? Oh, 100%. Well, that they are supplying weapons and support to Iran, 100%. If they're doing it right at this moment, maybe not. But definitely over, over the last few years and in previous attacks on Israel, we've found traces of, of Chinese tech and Chinese equipment. And China has been buying oil from Iran for some time despite U.S. sanctions. What kind of impact could that have? Well, China is now the largest customer. The U.S. is no longer a very large importer of, of oil. China is now the largest customer. So they have a certain amount of cachet. And China is willing to flout sanctions, whereas other countries may not be willing to. So China has become the friend in need of Iran and is providing Iran with money. Antonio, in your view, why do you think Chinese state media was quick to claim credit for the deal on Beijing's behalf, citing the strong voice of the global south, when we know it was the CIA, the Mossad, and the Qatari mediators that secured this? Yeah, of course, China's never going to give credit to the United States or to Israel for this deal. The other issue is you have to remember that there's a dynamic between China and India, and India is um, uh, evolving or, or emerging as the natural leader of the global south, and China is trying to position itself to muscle in as the leader of the global south. And considering what we know about China's influence with, in regards to Iran, its push for a ceasefire, its previous behavior and trustworthiness, and the dangers of essentially uh, you know, negotiating with terrorists in this ceasefire, is there anything that you, you think the U.S. could do differently to help ensure peace in the region? I don't know that we should really do anything differently. I mean, I, I think that, that we're following a good path, the United States is. I think that China, you know, China is, uh, they, they have normalized relations with, with the PLO. They're, they're in talks with Hamas, with the Taliban. I mean, they, they're with all these nefarious actors. But I think in the end, I think the U.S. policy is going to, I think it's definitely the right one. All right. Great to speak with you. Thank you very much, Antonio Graceffo. Economic and National Security Analyst. Thank you. And residents of Rockcastle County, Kentucky, are returning home following a train derailment on Wednesday. The multiple car derailment resulted in a chemical spill. The molten sulfur on board the train caught the fire after the cars were breached. Such fires are generally known to release sulfur dioxide, leading to concerns over the air quality. That prompted Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear to issue a state of emergency. The roughly 200 residents of Livingston were forced to evacuate the area on the eve of Thanksgiving. By Thursday, officials extinguished the fire and said it's safe for residents to return home. 
Railroad operator CSX says it's still supplying food, lodging and other necessities to affected community members. The derailment is under investigation. A New York woman was arrested on hate crime charges after allegedly attacking a man and his toddler. The woman was arraigned on Tuesday after turning herself in. On November 6th, she allegedly accused a man wearing a tr traditional Arab scarf of supporting Hamas. The man, who was with his 18-month-old son, pulled out his phone to record the screaming woman. She then threw hot coffee and her phone at them while shouting slurs. According to the 40-year-old father, the woman became upset after his toddler started interacting with her young son at a basketball court. The woman has pleaded not guilty to all charges. She's due back in court on January 24th. The one-year window for New York State's Adult Survivors Act has come to an end. The act allows for such lawsuits to be filed in court, even if their statutes of limitations have run out. Governor Kathy Hochul signed the New York Adult Survivors Act into law in May of last year. It follows those who it allowed those who were 18 years or older at the time of an alleged offense to file a lawsuit against their alleged abusers and the institutions that enabled them. It also set aside the statute of limitations for civil lawsuits. The window began November 24, 2022, and ended yesterday on November 23rd. More than 2,500 lawsuits have been filed under the law. And in its final days, numerous lawsuits were filed against several high-profile individuals, including New York Mayor Eric Adams, actor Jamie Foxx, and singer Axl Rose. All have denied any wrongdoing. The NYPD has released a dramatic body cam video showing an officer wrestling a gun away from a suspect when it goes off. And a caution, some viewers may find the following footage disturbing. The incident happened on Coney Island on October 27th when the officers were responding to a 911 call about a man with a gun. The video shows an officer opening the passenger door of a car and a man is sitting there with his hand on a gun. The officers repeatedly tell the suspect to put the gun down before one officer pulls him out of the vehicle. Several officers try to disarm the man when the gun goes off. Thankfully, no one was injured and the officers were able to get the gun away from the man. The officers were honored earlier this week and city officials have praised their efforts in de-escalating the situation. Floating solar panels on lakes and ponds are thought to be an economic way of maximizing space for renewable energy generation. But what is the impact on the aquatic environment under the arrays of solar panels? We hear more from an expert. We're trying to get a better understanding for what happens when you put floating solar on a water body. At the Cornell Experimental Pond Facility in New York State, researchers are floating nearly 400 solar panels across three ponds. Ecologist Steve Grotsky and his team are examining how these photovoltaic panels affect the water, microbes, plants and fish living in it. Uh, one of the issues uh, with, with floating solar is that we're not very sure what the effects are uh, ecologically, socially and so on in terms of putting solar on water bodies. The team is also tracking the pond's greenhouse gas emissions, algae growth, bioacoustics and environmental DNA.
adopting a whole suite of ecological um, attributes and trying to better understand the interactions between the floating solar deployments and the aquatic ecosystems. So we're seeing, you know, preliminarily some some somewhat rapid changes. For example, uh, where plants are growing in these ponds. Floating solar panels could save five million acres of land in the United States and would meet 10% of the country's electricity needs. That's according to legislators proposing the scheme. Grodsky says while interest in waterborne solar panels is rising, the technology must incorporate sustainability from the start to avoid any future unintended consequences. We're really trying to determine, uh, you know, what the effects are just in general. So positive, neutral or negative, just trying to better understand how to uh, inform sustainable floating solar development if it does indeed uh, take off. Coming up, the worst unrest in decades hits Ireland overnight. Violent protesters looted stores after a brutal stabbing. We bring you what happened. Net migration hit a record 745,000 last year. The UK's prime minister faces criticism from the opposition and his own party. And possible COVID vaccine fraud in Romania. Prosecutors want to investigate the former prime minister's purchase of COVID vaccines. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. A widespread outbreak of undiagnosed pneumonia cases is sweeping China, and it's mostly affecting kids. The dire situation is triggering concerns from a global health authority. On Wednesday, the World Health Organization gave China a 24-hour deadline to provide crucial details about the situation. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has the report. China has been battling a jump in mysterious respiratory illnesses for months. Hospitals across the country are overwhelmed with sick children. A pediatric hospital in Beijing reports seeing over 7,000 patients a day. A video shared online shows another hospital in Beijing at midnight still crowded with parents and children seeking treatment. Our whole family is sick, all four of them, and the hospital is full. My son had a fever of over 39 degrees Celsius and was tested for four pathogens, including mycoplasma pneumonia, influenza A, and COVID-19. There is no official explanation for the exact cause of the illness. Doctors in China have reported this year's flu wave seems worse than years past. They say it's unclear when the pneumonia outbreak started, but that it's unusual for so many children to be affected so quickly. The situation in a northern Chinese province is also getting serious. In an online post, a local health worker revealed that a staggering 9 out of 12 people in her department are grappling with high fevers. Calling it too scary, she describes the situation as almost the same as when COVID-19 restrictions were just lifted. Since Beijing abandoned its zero COVID-19 policy earlier this year, officials have linked China's surge in respiratory illnesses to non-COVID-19 related diseases. Now some residents are questioning whether the regime is using that as a cover-up to hide new waves of the COVID-19 pandemic. It feels like another COVID-19 outbreak, but they're saying it's influenza. I suspect it might be a mutated COVID-19 variant. 
The data hasn't been shared with the public, and now reporting isn't allowed. Everything's being kept under wraps. Medical care is falling behind, and children's hospitals can't take in any more patients. Parents are getting more and more concerned. They, the CCP, won't tell you anything about the virus. I've got some medicine ready. If I feel even a bit unwell, I'll take it right away. China has faced scrutiny in the past about the transparency of its medical reporting, particularly during the early days of the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan. A study by the British University of Southampton found 95% of COVID-19's global spread could have been reduced if China intervened earlier. Just last week, a top Chinese epidemiologist warned another wave of COVID-19 could hit China soon. According to online posts, at least one child has died of pneumonia during the current wave. Reports have also suggested authorities are blocking related information online. The WHO said yesterday that China has provided the requested data on the increase in respiratory illnesses. Beijing said it has not detected any unusual or novel pathogens. Both China and the WHO have faced scrutiny over their level of transparency in the early phases of the COVID-19 pandemic. And now for a shift in gears, we have some short headlines from the UK, Germany and other European countries. A night of riots and looting in Ireland. Police arrested over 30 people after they ravaged through Dublin last night. The violent protests came in response to a stabbing. An attacker stabbed five people, including three young children. Police have not commented on the nationality of the main suspect, but there's speculation that he's an immigrant. The following crowd of up to 300 people reportedly chanted things such as, get them out and Irish lives matter. It's nothing to do with far right or far left or whatever, it's just totally I'm destroying the city, destroying tourism, and, and it's just absolute disgrace, absolute disgrace. Amazon workers across Europe striking today on Black Friday. At a warehouse in the UK, more than a thousand workers walked out due to a long-running dispute over pay. An Amazon UK spokesperson said the strike would not cause any disruption. In Germany today, over 700 workers are on strike at multiple Amazon warehouses. And in Italy, between 60 and 80 percent of the Amazon warehouse workers are missing today. Germany is passing an additional budget for 2023. The country's finance minister says he'll put the supplementary budget to the cabinet next week. That's to meet the requirements of the Constitutional Court and to address a budget crisis caused by its ruling. The court ruling canceled a climate fund which blew a $65 billion hole in Germany's finances. Next week, I will present a supplementary budget for this year. We'll ensure that the expenditures, especially for the electricity and gas subsidies, are in accordance with the Constitution. That's why this supplementary budget is necessary. Over to Italy. If you want to visit Venice for free, you should do it now. The Italian city will test out a daily admission fee starting in April. The city will also cap visitor access to its famous canals. The restrictions will apply from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. The restrictions will cover most weekends from April to mid-July next year. The move is aimed at managing the flow of tourists. 
A possible investigation related to COVID vaccines in Romania. The former prime minister allegedly abused his office concerning vaccine purchases. Romanian anti-corruption prosecutors are now asking parliament and the president to allow a criminal investigation. They say the former prime minister purchased significantly more vaccine doses than necessary without documents or assessments to justify the purchase. China is growing a cyber army. German newspaper Handelsblatt says Beijing is massively expanding its cyber attack capabilities. The paper cited a study from Metrics, a Berlin-based think tank focused on China. The study says China's state-backed hackers received training at the 40-square-kilometer National Cybersecurity Center in Wuhan. The goals of the Chinese cyber attacks differ from Russia's symbolic short-term sabotage operations. According to the study's author, Chinese attacks in Europe are often long-term. The goal is to stay in the systems for as long as possible, access data, and prepare acts of sabotage. She said these make such attacks harder to detect. Germany's interior minister told Handelsblatt that stricter rules would be in place to boost the country's cyber defenses. One German report says 43% of businesses hacked in 2022 identified at least one attack from China, compared to 30% in 2021. New figures show the UK's net migration hit a record 475,000 in 2022. Rishi Sunak is facing calls from Tory MPs to act now to bring numbers down. The UK's Home Secretary says the government needs to eliminate exploitation of the visa system. Entity's Malcolm Hudson has more from London. Revised estimates from the Office for National Statistics, or ONS, puts net migration to the UK in 2020 at a figure higher than previously thought, 745,000. In the strongly worded statement, the new Conservative group of MPs demanded action from Rishi Sunak and James Cleverley. They said the government must propose a comprehensive package of measures to meet the manifesto promised by the next election. The Conservative Party manifesto pledged to bring overall net migration numbers down after the introduction of post-Brexit border controls. Net migration is a difference between the number of people arriving and leaving the country. So the people coming in minus the people going out. The most recent estimates are for the year ending June 2023. A total of 1.18 million people arrived in the UK, while 508,000 are likely to have left a difference of 672,000. This is up from 607,000 in the 12 months to June 2022. Levels of net migration have varied sharply in recent years. The figure stood at an estimated 93,000 in the year to December 2020, when restrictions introduced during the COVID pandemic limited travel and movement. It then rose to 466,000 in the year to December 2021, before jumping to a record 745,000 in the year to December 2022. The ONS said most people arriving in the year ending June 2023 were non-EU nationals at about 970,000, followed by nearly 130,000 from the EU and 48,000 British. Of non-EU nationals coming to the UK, 39% were coming here to study. The next biggest portion were those coming here for work, having risen to 33% and is largely attributed to people in health and care worker visas. Arrivals via humanitarian routes have fallen down to 9%.
Most of these are Ukrainians and British nationals overseas arriving from Hong Kong. Downing Street said net migration is too high and promised to leave no stone unturned in tackling abuse of the visa system. Meanwhile, Labour said this shows the Tory failure on immigration, asylum and the economy and highlighted that the government is paying £3 billion a year on asylum hotels. Home Secretary James Cleverley said the government is working on preventing the manipulation of the UK's visa system with new measures coming soon. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. The European Union's border agency Frontex is sending reinforcements to Finland. That's amid suspicion that Russia is behind an influx of illegal immigrants arriving in the country. Frontex will send 50 border guard officers plus equipment and patrol cars to assist the northern European nation. More than 800 immigrants without proper visas have arrived in Finland since August, with over 700 in November alone. The Finnish Prime Minister called it a serious disruption of border security and accused Russia of starting it. The Kremlin denies the allegations. Finland has closed four of nine border crossings with Russia and plans to leave only one open for asylum seekers. One Brussels' most iconic landmarks has been encased in scaffolding for decades. No one under 40 has ever seen the vast courthouse as it's meant to be. But all that might be about to change as renovation work on the structure began in October. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the landmark restoration. The 280,000 square foot Palais de Justice sits on a hill and dominates the city skyline. Topped with a gold-trimmed dome, it was the largest building in Europe when it was opened in 1883. But since 1984, it has been encased in scaffolding to protect the structure and bystanders from falling debris. And many people in Brussels thought that they were intimate, uh, connected to the Palace of Justice, that the Palace of Justice couldn't exist without scaffoldings. Now the restoration finally has started and the aim is to, uh, to eliminate those scaffoldings by 2030. In 2020, the government vowed to act. Last October, ministers and hard hats cut a symbolic ribbon to mark the start of work. So over here you can see uh, the real damaged stones. Um, this damage is caused by water that infiltrates in the, in the system by the, the joints. So what are we going to do? We are going to renew these joints. There's tons of work to do on the structure, but Brussels hopes to complete restoration in time for Belgium's bicentennial celebrations. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Music composed at Auschwitz is set to be played for the first time next week. British composer Leo Geyer had stumbled upon the collection during a visit to the Nazi concentration camp in 2015. He said most concentration camps had some sort of orchestra where prisoners played whatever instruments were available to them. The Auschwitz archive contained remnants of 210 pieces of music. Geyer has been working to recompose the missing parts Four of the restored pieces will be performed by his creative powerhouse, Constella Music, next week. He says this event is meant to raise awareness and funding so he can finish the collection. Coming up, what comes to mind when people think about Thanksgiving? Spectators from Philadelphia's Thanksgiving Day Parade share their thoughts. Hear from people in New York City what they're most thankful for this year and how to share the spirit of cheer right here on NTD News Today.
Welcome back. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is host to the oldest Thanksgiving Day Parade in the U.S. This year marked the parade's 104th anniversary. Spectators shared their thoughts on the meaning of Thanksgiving. Take a look. The first Philadelphia Thanksgiving Parade was held in 1920. The now defunct Gimbel Brothers department store created the parade to be especially kid friendly. Uh, I've seen all the Disney characters, all the movie characters. There's uh, great uh, bands coming by. Uh, it's great for kids. It's very festive. Jim Kenny says Christmas and other holidays are a bit more nostalgic and emotional. However, he says Thanksgiving is different. Thanksgiving is just a kind of neutral holiday where you just enjoy yourself, enjoy the family, enjoy good food, uh, and just be thankful for what you have. Warren Kalbach is thankful for his family and his health. So I'm very thankful to still have my mother and father. They're both 86 years old, and I have 12 brothers and sisters, and I have 30 nieces and nephews. Kyle Thompson is sharing the experience with his children and reliving his own childhood in the process. Um, you know, growing up in this city and, and growing up coming to this parade, uh, for me, it's being able to share with my family now. Like I've, you know, I'm 35 now, I have two kids, but my daughter's four years old, and I've been coming here since I was four, so it's, I think that meeting of being able to sort of, I guess, relive my childhood through my children is kind of neat, so it's cool to be able to share that experience with them. Some people use this holiday as an opportunity to help others and spread hope to the community. And so we're just trying to give back to the community and tell people that there's there's greater hope than the things that are going on around here. Um, it's a, a time that our country had a little more freedom and it's a time that we get to come together as families, right? That's the most important thing here on earth is our families and the chance that we have to be together during a holiday season is, is really significant and important to me. The Thanksgiving holiday and this parade give people an opportunity to come together, reflect on things they are grateful for, and just have some good old-fashioned fun. And with Thanksgiving just behind us and more holiday festivities ahead, we took to the streets of Manhattan to ask people what they're grateful for this year, what holiday traditions they have, and how to keep that spirit of gratitude alive for young and old all year. What are you grateful for this year? My family. Great family. I can tell you're all loving spending time together. My granddaughter. It's like a, four generations. My daughter, my granddaughter, and a great granddaughter and me. Any thoughts about teaching kindness to children or teaching gratitude to children? I do teach them. I have 14 grandchildren and 14 great grandchildren, and I teach them a lot. Yes. How? What's the best way? Talk to them. Be straightforward with them. Tell them, you know, this is the right way. There's wrong ways. Try to do the best you can. You're not perfect, but do the best you can and make the best of it. I'm grateful for our family. What's the best way to teach gratitude to children, do you think? Oh, gosh, that's a hard yeah, What's the best way, what? Teach gratitude to children. <laughs> 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 I wish I knew. Um, uh, lead by example and uh, make sure that you're you're always saying your your thank yous and uh, expressing to to folks how important they are in your lives and, and hopefully it just rubs off on them. Yeah. And uh, do you have any family traditions for Thanksgiving that you'll be doing? 
Well, we're sort of breaking our family traditions this year. We because we did a big epic trip to New York City. We're here for the whole week, and so we're so excited. But yes, normally we have we have Thanksgiving together, and we do big turkey. We do lots of games. We have a lot of fun. What are you guys grateful for this year? Family. Nice. Family. Family. <laughs> Friends. New York. Being able to travel, hello, like, yeah, yeah, healthy yeah. enough to be able to travel. And having good friends to travel really with. Yeah, yeah. And supportive husbands who are happy to let us go. <laughs> what do you think is the best way to kind of teach gratitude to children? Mm. Um, well, I think it's something you have to do all the time. It's not a day. And you start when they're young and it just becomes part of who they are. Yeah. You just uh, raise kind people. Family. What are you thankful for? Friends. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Kindness and gratitude. How do you teach kindness and gratitude to, to kids? How do, you, how do you teach kindness to kids? If you be their friend, they'll want to be your friend and then they'll be nice to you. Yeah. And um, what are you thankful for this year? Oh my gosh, him. We, sadly, we've lost a lot of family this year, and so we came here to celebrate life and to have a really good time. We've never been to New York. This is our first time, and we really just wanted to come out and be with some liveliness and cheer, and uh, how could you get any better than this? I've always wanted to do the uh, Macy's Day Parade, you know, on Thanksgiving and see the balloons, so it's going to be fun. Yeah. Do you have any Thanksgiving um, family traditions? Oh, my great-grandmother's stuffing. I have been making her Polish stuffing for mm, 25 years or so, so I won't be doing that this year. Hopefully I'll pick it up for Christmas, but that's definitely, and always with family around the table. Everybody's eating the stuffing whether they want to or not. <laughs> I live in Queens. I work as an elevator mechanic in the city, and this Thanksgiving I'll be celebrating at home with the family, a couple loved ones coming over. Nothing too crazy. What are you grateful for this year? Um, honestly, this year I'm grateful for just living life, honestly. I got into a big accident last year working, so gratefully I'm just happy that I'm living. So I think the best way to teach gratitude to kids is honestly teach them how precious it is to spend time with family, you know? A lot of distractions nowadays between phones, people working all the time. I think the best way is honestly spending great quality time with family. Um, we just got engaged. We just got engaged so, at the beginning of October, so yeah, very thankful, thankful for that. that. Yeah. What do you think about how to teach gratitude to kids? I think just paying it forward, always paying it forward and making sure you're paying attention to those around you if they ever need like a helping hand and however you can assist, do so. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> what she said. What she yeah. said. There yeah. you go. Great job. I went out into the city to find out more about this. Check it out. What are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? I asked that question to several New Yorkers, and here are some of the answers they gave me. Puppies, family, all of their things, peace, life itself, and everything. Let's hear more. I'm thankful for my mother, my child, my three-year-old daughter, she's amazing. Uh, family and my very, very close friend circle. Today I'm thankful for my family. Excellent. How do you celebrate? 
Uh, we just get together at, at grandma's house or mom's house and we just enjoy a good time. It's family time. It's family, it's friends, it's, it's the meal. We're thankful for our great city, for our great lives in New York City and the freedom that we're enjoying in the, the United States. Do you feel that Thanksgiving as a holiday has changed over the years? I think that people went from more traditional to more modern. Uh, they spend it more on traveling or vacations, and sometimes they lose the uh, meaning of what is this holiday means. It means the beginning of our country, our ancestors here, and uh, the pioneering that they did to get to where we are. I'm thankful for my family. My sister lives in New York City, and because of her, I get to come visit the city. That's great. What do you do to celebrate? To celebrate, we host Thanksgiving at my house and all my cousins and aunts come over. What's a notable memory that you've had from Thanksgiving past? We used to always go on um, midnight to the mall for Black Friday shopping. Oh, okay. What do you look out for? Honestly, anything. Just the good deals. But now they don't even open the mall till midnight, so. And what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving, ma'am? I'm thankful for my family and my puppy. <laughs> How do you celebrate? Uh, we just invite everybody over and have a big meal together and, you know, just love on each other as much as we can. Has Thanksgiving changed for you as you've grown? Uh, it has. It's become a lot more meaningful as I, as I get to think about what being thankful really means uh, out in this crazy world of ours. What does Thanksgiving mean to you? Uh, it means taking a moment to really reflect on the things that you know we kind of take for granted and that we probably shouldn't that are more important and you know just love and family and just wonderful things that we never think about have you seen the holiday itself change over the years um i have a little bit um i think that i think that people are becoming more appreciative and hopefully getting together more and on this episode of Strong Mind and Body, we learn how to trade overwhelm for joy this holiday season. Here's Gina Marie with some simple tips. The pressures of life this time of year tend to reach fever pitch. Juggling the demands of the season on top of our regular responsibilities can overwhelm us. But we don't have to remain there. Here are seven simple and practical strategies to help you out. Number one, clarify your outcomes. Write down the key things you hope to accomplish this season and why. Ask yourself, why do you want to do those things? If you find tasks on your list that aren't essential to do this season, get rid of them. Number two, plot your time. Now that you've clarified your outcomes, get specific and set a timeline. What needs to get done and by when? Break larger tasks into smaller chunks and plot it out on your calendar. Number three, protect your time. It can be tempting this time of year to fill your calendar with festivities, fun and gatherings. But there's a tipping point. If you feel stretched and overwhelmed, practice saying no. Number four, delegate. Do you think you're the only one in your realm who can do all of these tasks? Take another look. Who can you delegate tasks to? Number five, nurture mind and body. When the pace gets frantic, nutrition, exercise and rest tend to be tossed. These should be at the top of your list. Maintain nutritious and wholesome eating habits, get enough sleep each night and move your body each day. Good health and well-being are key to a jolly holiday. And number six, disconnect. 
Feeling overwhelmed can lead many to reach for their phones. That quick and petty dopamine hit can exacerbate your problems. Beat the temptation before by setting up screen time limits. This time of year is a celebration of joy and love. Stay focused on the deeper significance of the holiday season. Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are our top stories. The first batch of hostages taken by Hamas released as the fighting comes to a temporary halt. What we've learned about the situation. President Biden's campaign tells supporters how to push back against pro-Trump statements at the dinner table. Is Biden creating political division? Buy now, pay later is getting more popular and Americans will be using it this holiday shopping season. A cluster of pneumonia cases with a haunting familiarity to the 2019 pandemic. A troubling situation now unfolding inside China, tied to sick children and censorship. Taiwan's presidential race takes a dramatic turn. A joint ticket between two opposition parties falls apart on live television. Cuddling up to a cow makes you forget all your worries. A farm in the UK is offering a new way to relax like no other. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. And here today with Kevin Hogan standing in for Chris Beers. Welcome, Kevin. And welcome, everyone at home. And we have insights and perspectives on the stories shaping our world. Breaking news, in-depth analysis, and inspiration to power your day. Now for our top stories. The first group of hostages taken by Hamas is returning to safety. The initial group would include 13 Israeli hostages, all women and children. They were freed near Gaza's border with Egypt at 4 p.m. local time today. Moments before the handover, Thailand's prime minister said 12 of the country's citizens were also released. That would make a total of 25 hostages. But according to CNN, the Red Cross confirmed that 24 hostages were released. Qatar's foreign ministry said in addition to the 13 Israeli hostages, 10 Thai citizens and one Filipino citizen were among them. In exchange, Israel agreed to release 39 Palestinian prisoners, including 24 women and 15 minors from the West Bank or Jerusalem. At the same time, a four-day ceasefire went into effect this morning at 7 a.m. local time. The hostage deal between Israel and Hamas Former National Security Advisor John Bolton is now commenting. He was on the Katz and Cosby show criticizing the deal. What they really want to do, and this is the real play, is to turn this four-day pause uh, into a permanent ceasefire. Now, I don't think they're going to achieve that at the first iteration, but they're trying to put the onus on the Israeli forces if and when they begin hostilities again. The deal will free 50 of the roughly 240 hostages Hamas is holding. In return, 150 Palestinian detainees will be released from Israeli prisons. The Palestinian detainees are also women and children. Bolton criticized the deal as favoring Hamas by three to one. Bolton also says the four-day ceasefire helps Hamas much more than it helps Israel. That's because Hamas needs a break while Israel does not. 
The Israeli government announced the deal early Wednesday morning following the Israeli cabinet's approval. Bolton alleges the key reason Israel accepted the deal was pressure from the Biden administration. The Iowa caucuses are less than two months away. Presidential candidates are using Thanksgiving to appeal to voters. Former President Donald Trump and Governor Ron DeSantis took their Thanksgiving messages online. Take a look. This is a difficult time for our country, but do not lose heart or lose hope, because by the time we celebrate next Thanksgiving, our nation will be well on its way to being stronger, safer, more prosperous, and greater than ever before. Once again, happy Thanksgiving, and God bless you all. Well, hello. I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, in 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, uh, put out a proclamation uh, advising the American people to thank God for all the blessings of this country. And that was in the midst of the bloodiest battle, internal battle that the country's ever seen. And so as we get ready to sit down for Thanksgiving dinner with our families this time, we see the problems in our country. Uh, we see that we've hit the skids. Candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, meanwhile, posted this video with the description, running for president in Iowa today. Literally, happy Thanksgiving. Americans are donating less to food banks this holiday due to inflation. Last year, almost half said they would donate, but this year only 25% are likely to contribute. That's according to a recent study by tech company Divert. The study also shows that over 70% of Americans have changed their grocery shopping habits due to high inflation and food costs. Inflation has eased since its peak earlier this year, but the cumulative increase since President Biden took office has been around 20%. And political talks at the family dinner table. It's part of the Thanksgiving experience. Now, President Biden wants his supporters to push back on pro-Trump speech from relatives. The Biden administration released a guide on Thanksgiving calling, called Your Handy Guide to Responding to Crazy MAGA Nonsense This Thanksgiving. It lists a number of talking points on the economy, social security, immigration, and the polls. For example, if someone says the economy was better during Trump, the guide tells people to say that inflation is the lowest it's been in two years and that former President Trump had the worst jobs record since the Great Depression. The guide also claims Trump didn't secure the border and that if re-elected, Trump will round up Latinos into mass detention camps. The Biden campaign published the guide the same day Biden urged Americans to, quote, stop the rancor over political differences. Coming up, buy now, pay later is getting more popular and Americans will be using it this holiday shopping season. A record 130 million people are expected to shop in store and online in the U.S. this Black Friday. Get shopping tips from happy buyers out in New York City. And a premium Japanese sake is putting down roots in the U.S. What's special about the new facility? More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Many consumers are expected to use buy now, pay later method heavily during the holidays. And joining us now is Entity Business host Don Ma to talk about the payment method that's being used this shopping season. Don, thanks for coming on the show. Why are we seeing so many people use this method right now? Well, there's a number of reasons here, and let me just point out some of the big ones. So these short-term loans often come with friendly 
uh, interest rates, uh, relatively speaking, compared to credit card uh, interest rates. It's often a bit lower, uh, and some plans, you know, even offer zero percent interest, which is uh, pretty attractive for some people. Uh, this uh, this is potentially uh, appealing to some of those shoppers who are thinking of. Uh, getting more than one gift or, or those who have uh, a lot of financial considerations for example student loans uh, those resumed a few months ago um, or maybe they have credit card debt already and they want to use an alternate method so a couple of benefits here and um, some numbers here just uh, for you to have some context uh, short-term installment loans have uh, drove 6.4 billion dollars uh, of online spending in october and uh, it's up six percent year on year uh, so we're seeing an increase here uh, definitely uh, adobe estimates uh, one in five americans could potentially be using buy now pay later for their holiday gifts this season and uh, another good point about this is most of them aren't reported to the main credit bureaus, so it doesn't affect uh, their credit scores. But of course, there are some downsides as well to uh, buy now, pay later, and we can get into that if you would like. Oh, for sure. Tell us more about that. Right. So the, this, the fact that uh, it's not reported to uh, main credit bureaus. This could be a double-edged sword because it can lead to loan stacking potentially. And what that is, is when consumers take on uh, multiple uh, with debt uh, with multiple lenders, uh, you know, it just stacks up because uh, lenders themselves actually don't report these lendings to each other. So there's a bit of opacity in this space. So lenders may potentially not know uh, if a borrower has good credit score or not. And this could sometimes lead consumers to taking on uh, debt after debt after debt. And then it could potentially trap them uh, in this kind of debt spiral. Definitely not a place you want to be. And so I think you have one more update for us, Don. Yeah, sure. Uh, many shoppers uh, are facing financial pressure this year. Consumers are definitely cautious. But retailers worldwide still hope uh, millions of shoppers will come for the Black Friday discounts. Uh, retail trade group estimates that a record 130 million people will shop in store and online in the U.S. Uh, this Black Friday. Executives say the rise of online shopping, though, has made Black Friday less important as a single day event. Retailers from Macy's to Amazon now launch deals as early as October and offer additional discounts closer to Christmas as well. Great, thank you so much, Don. Thank you. And we tested shopper sentiment on the streets of New York City this week in Midtown Manhattan near Macy's flagship store. Let's see that now. How do you think the sales have been this year? I think they've been amazing. amazing. Oh, really? <laughs> what have you got so far? So far, we've gone to Foot Locker, got some new balances, yeah. just put them on. Oh, nice. Yes, okay. so that's where we're going so far. Um, I think we're headed to Hudson Yards next. Do you have any tips or strategies for best Black Friday shopping? Do you, Janai? You're the retail person. <laughs> just be patient, be nice. Say excuse yeah. me. That's it. I don't know. Be early too. Yeah, early. They always have good last-minute sales too. I think, oh, yeah. especially in New York. How do you think it compares to previous years? Um, a lot more calmer, probably after COVID. Yeah. So uh, you see that 
a lot of people are kind of like shopping online a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not I think a lot that's the thing. There's a lot of people shopping online. So yeah. Do you prefer in store or online? Online. Preferably so. Exactly. Okay. Better deals, less crowd. But again, because people are choosing online, I feel like it's more quieter in yeah. person. <laughs> so. Some stores have really great sales and some don't have any. Yeah. yeah. So how do you think it compares so far to previous years? I think it's better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know, but I do think it's better. Like, I can tell that one at H&M was really good. Yeah, H&M yeah, had yeah. good sales. Yeah. yeah. Any tips or strategies for the best kind of shopping? Just, um, I don't know, maybe check online because you might see more stuff than yeah. in stores. But yeah, and if you're shopping in stores, go early. Yeah. First like, thing in the morning. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Like each day, you feel like they bring out new stuff each day? Yes, for sure. And it's just not as crowded. And so you have more patience and time to look through everything. Yes. How, is, how have the crowds been so far? Not bad, no. I don't think. No, yeah, not bad at all. I think the sales this year are really good because last year they weren't as great and we didn't really get as much, but this year we're going to definitely shop a lot more. So far, they've been fantastic. We got a couple sweaters for like $12 and they're originally like 60 so like they're really, really good going on right now and a bunch of the makeup's on sale as well. It's hot, it's crowded, <laughs> and my feet hurt. Do you have any tips or strategies for best Black Friday deals? Avoid the people who are fighting. Have you found those people? Yes. About sales? Mm-hmm. Fourth floor. Fourth floor. Cabbage Patch Dolls. They don't do Black Friday like they used to. I miss the nostalgia of going to the store and like fighting someone over like an item, you know. <laughs> Everything's just so expensive now. Are there any other days that you think like are better for, for deals? No, <laughs> not at all. I mean on Cyber Mondays they have like extra discounts on online stores and stuff. Did you get anything fun today? Uh, I mean I got some pants and some Legos. Nice. That's really all we got. Cool. What kind of Legos? Uh, we got we got the Lego succulents, you know. It, it, was, it was solid, it was a solid pick. I haven't really shopped previous years, but there's a lot of good deals out today. Yeah, I went to Aritzia. There's a lot of 50% off. I bought a furry jacket. Um, yeah, I got this jacket. It's really cute. It's a quarter zip. I got a jacket, I got a charger, um, gloves, you know, just trying to stay warm. I'm not from New York, so. Do you prefer online or in-store? In-store for my jeans because I need them to fit a good way. Most other things online. Any tips or strategies for getting the best deal? Um, don't stop looking. Stay on your A-game. Uh, try everything out and just don't be afraid. Don't be scared of aggressive people. Oh, what kind of, you mean other shoppers? Mm-hmm, yes. Have you encountered them? No. Residents of Rockcastle County, Kentucky are returning home following a train derailment on Wednesday. The multiple car derailment resulted in a chemical spill. The molten sulfur on board the train caught fire after the cars were breached. Such fires are generally known to release sulfur dioxide leading to concerns over the air quality. That prompted Kentucky Governor and Andy Beshear to issue a state of emergency. 
The roughly 200 residents of Livingston were forced to evacuate the area on the eve of Thanksgiving. By Thursday, officials extinguished the fire and said it's safe for residents to return home. Railroad operator CSX says it's still supplying food, lodging and other necessities to affected community members. The derailment is under investigation. And a New York woman was arrested on hate crimes charges after allegedly attacking a man and his toddler. The woman was arraigned on Tuesday after turning herself in. On November 6th, she allegedly accused a man wearing a traditional Arab scarf of supporting Hamas. The man, who was with his 18-month-old son, pulled out his phone to record the screaming woman. She then threw hot coffee and her phone at them while shouting slurs. According to the 40-year-old father, the woman became upset after his toddler started interacting with her young son in a basketball court. The woman has pleaded not guilty to all charges. She's due back in court on January 24th. A one-year window for New York State's Adult Survivors Act has come to an end. The act allows for such lawsuits to be filed in court, even if their statutes of limitations have run out. Governor Kathy Hochul signed the New York Adult Survivors Act into law in May of last year. It allowed those who were 18 years or older at the time of an alleged offense to file a lawsuit against their alleged abusers and the institutions that enabled them. It also set aside the statute of limitations for civil lawsuits. The window began November 24, 2022 and ended yesterday on November 23rd. More than 2,500 lawsuits have been filed under the law. And the NYPD has released a dramatic body cam video showing an officer wrestling a gun away from a suspect when it goes off. And a caution, some viewers may find the following footage disturbing. The incident happened on Coney Island on October 27th when the officers were responding to a 911 call about a man with a gun. The video shows an officer opening the passenger door of a car and a man is sitting there with his hand on a gun. The officers repeatedly tell the suspect to put the gun down before one officer pulls him out of the vehicle. Several officers try to disarm the man when the gun goes off. Thankfully, no one was injured and the officers were able to get the gun away from the man. The officers were honored earlier this week and city officials have praised their efforts in de-escalating the situation. The CEO of Peloton is apologizing to members after a Guinness World Record attempt faced technical issues. On social media, Barry McCarthy said more than 37,000 people took part in the Turkey Burn Ride yesterday, but he says many more couldn't access the event since participation exceeded Peloton's technical capabilities. Pelabuddy says the company was trying to set records for the largest live cycling and running classes. The unaffiliated website reports Peloton might have hit those goals despite its issues, but that's unconfirmed. Some recalled applesauce products are still on some Dollar Tree store shelves. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration recalled cinnamon applesauce pouches after reports of high lead levels in children's blood. 
As of Wednesday, there were 52 reports of illness among children under age 4 in 25 states. Dollar Tree says it is working with the FDA on clearing all the products from their shelves. The company also says it has locked its registers to block any sales of the items in question. The FDA is also now screening shipments of cinnamon from multiple countries for possible lead contamination. And a premium Japanese sake is putting down roots in the U.S. The brand is served in high-end restaurants worldwide. Enthusiasts can now visit a brewery that recently opened in Hyde Park, New York. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the new facility. New York State has welcomed Asahi Shuzo's Desai brand of sake. The Desai Blue Sake Brewery took seven years to come to fruition. In the American market, Japanese sake is only 2%. To be successful in the American market, we must keep our feet on the ground of American society. Right here in this market, we want to continue to try and make an effort. The project cost roughly $80 million to build. The facility opened its doors in late September, and brewers are hard at work. At Desai, we only make Junmai Jayingo, which is the first-class sake. This means that workers are almost walking on a sharp sword. It requires a very sensitive process and effort. Tim Ryan is president of the Culinary Institute of America. He says the original idea was to have a sake brewery on campus for educational purposes. Sake is still largely undiscovered in, in the United States. I mean, there is a market here, but if you compare it to beer or wine, as an example, or, or gin or vodka, um, you know, it, it is small in comparison. Ryan then found out the Sakurai family behind the company had a bigger idea. As we um, deepened the discussions with the Sakurais, we understood that uh, their vision was much larger than we could accommodate on campus. Desai Blue Sake Brewery and the Institute have a partnership. The brewery offers decades of knowledge of sake making to students. It also hires some of the graduates. So the education that I received at the CIA is helping me perform my duties while working at Desai because we're following a recipe um, from washing the rice to steaming the rice, making koji, it's a recipe. The brewery is open for tours two days a week. It's about a two-hour drive from Manhattan. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, two of Taiwan's opposition parties no longer running together in the presidential race. Their bitter disagreements appeared live on television. Nearly a decade after the mysterious disappearance of flight MH370, court hearings are about to begin in Beijing. What are victims' families asking for? And are human rights violations from China getting shipped to American schools? A nonprofit reports that Chinese seafood has ties to forced labor and that it's ending up in U.S. grocery stores, restaurants, and federal food programs. We're in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. A widespread outbreak of undiagnosed pneumonia cases is sweeping China and it's mostly affecting kids. On Wednesday, the World Health Organization gave China a 24-hour deadline to provide crucial details about the situation. Entity's Tiffany Meyer has the report. China has been battling a jump in mysterious respiratory illnesses for months. 
Hospitals across the country are overwhelmed with sick children. A pediatric hospital in Beijing reports seeing over 7,000 patients a day. A video shared online shows another hospital in Beijing at midnight still crowded with parents and children seeking treatment. Our whole family is sick, all four of them, and the hospital is full. My son had a fever of over 39 degrees Celsius and was tested for four pathogens, including mycoplasma pneumonia, influenza A, and COVID-19. There is no official explanation for the exact cause of the illness. Doctors in China have reported this year's flu wave seems worse than years past. They say it's unclear when the pneumonia outbreak started, but that it's unusual for so many children to be affected so quickly. The situation in a northern Chinese province is also getting serious. In an online post, a local health worker revealed that a staggering 9 out of 12 people in her department are grappling with high fevers. Calling it too scary, she describes the situation as almost the same as when COVID-19 restrictions were just lifted. Since Beijing abandoned its zero COVID-19 policy earlier this year, officials have linked China's surge in respiratory illnesses to non-COVID-19 related diseases. Now some residents are questioning whether the regime is using that as a cover-up to hide new waves of the COVID-19 pandemic. It feels like another COVID-19 outbreak, but they're saying it's influenza. I suspect it might be a mutated COVID-19 variant. The data hasn't been shared with the public, and now reporting isn't allowed. Everything's being kept under wraps. Medical care is falling behind, and children's hospitals can't take in any more patients. Parents are getting more and more concerned. They, the CCP, won't tell you anything about the virus. I've got some medicine ready. If I feel even a bit unwell, I'll take it right away. China has faced scrutiny in the past about the transparency of its medical reporting, particularly during the early days of the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan. A study by the British University of Southampton found 95% of COVID-19's global spread could have been reduced if China intervened earlier. Just last week, a top Chinese epidemiologist warned another wave of COVID-19 could hit China soon. According to online posts, at least one child has died of pneumonia during the current wave. Reports have also suggested authorities are blocking related information online. And now shifting gears, we have some short headlines from countries in Asia and Oceania. A dramatic turn in Taiwan's presidential race shown on live TV. The joint presidential ticket of Taiwan's two opposition parties collapsed yesterday amid bitter arguments. The Nationalist Party and the Taiwan People's Party had agreed to run on a joint ticket against the ruling Democratic Progressive Party. But after failing to reach an agreement, the Nationalist Party walked out of last-ditch talks with the People's Party in front of reporters in a hotel conference room. The two parties rushed to register their own candidates at the Election Commission office yesterday with hours to go before a deadline. Terry Goh, the billionaire founder of tech giant Foxconn, also dropped out of the presidential race today. He was running as an independent. Taiwan's presidential election is set to take place on January 13th. After over nine years, court hearings related to flight MH370 are set to begin in Beijing next Monday. 
It will involve the victim's family members, Malaysia Airlines, Boeing and other companies. Flight MH370 disappeared in 2014 while traveling from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. It carried 239 people on board. The plane's disappearance remains one of the most prominent aviation mysteries in history. Approximately two-thirds of the passengers were from China. In 2018, investigators released a 495-page report suggesting that the plane's controls were intentionally manipulated to divert it from its course. But they were unable to determine who was responsible for this act. Family members of the victims continue to advocate for the resumption of the search, citing the discovery of debris. More than 30 suspected debris fragments have been collected from different locations worldwide, but only three wing fragments found along the Indian Ocean coast have been verified to belong to MH370. China is growing a cyber army. German newspaper Handelsblatt says Beijing is massively expanding its cyber attack capabilities. The paper cited a study from Metrics, a Berlin-based think tank focused on China. The study says China's state-backed hackers received training at the 40-square-kilometer National Cybersecurity Center in Wuhan. The goals of Chinese cyber attacks differ from Russia's symbolic short-term sabotage operations. According to the study's author, Chinese attacks in Europe are often long-term. The goal is to stay in the system for as long as possible, access data, and prepare acts of sabotage. She said these make such attacks harder to detect. Germany's interior minister told Handelsblatt that stricter rules would be in place to boost the country's cyber defenses. One German report says 43% of businesses hacked in 2022 identified at least one attack from China, compared to 30% in 2021. It's the season of holiday shopping. As major fashion retailers begin to snap up discounts for buyers, a China-funded company is quietly expanding. Fast fashion giant Shein is getting closer to besting two of its biggest rivals this year, Zara and H&M. In the first three quarters of this year alone, Shein's revenue has already outpaced H&M's by a staggering $7 billion. Zara is next on the list. And the corporate ambition doesn't stop there. Shein looking to become a new rival to Amazon. The online retailer has been luring in merchants from Amazon to its own platform with shopping incentives. What's more, the company is also reportedly planning to go public as early as 2024. But to get there, it has to bypass a string of hurdles from U.S. regulators. Xi'an has been facing pressure from lawmakers over allegations of unethical labor practices against the Uyghur minorities in the Xinjiang region. Fishing has long been considered one of the world's deadliest professions. Now, an investigative report is tying it to human rights abuses in China. It says Chinese fishing and processing operations are using forced labor from the Uyghur ethnic group and that the U.S. is buying that seafood in violation of 2021's Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. Over four years, a team from the Ocean Outlaw Project nonprofit trailed and even boarded some of China's 6,500 fishing ships. When they refused to talk, reporters said they had ventured out in small boats, throwing plastic bottles filled with interview questions aboard. Workers then answered them in notes and tossed the bottles back. 
From the fishing ships, the group tracked the seafood to Chinese ports and processing plants, then all the way to the U.S. and Europe. There, the fish allegedly landed in grocery stores like Walmart, Costco, Kroger and Cisco, plus restaurants and food companies. That's on top of U.S. federal purchases for school lunches and other programs like soup kitchens. The probe also found some Chinese plants employ North Korean workers. U.S. sanctions ban all American purchases of products made with North Korean labor. Following the report's release, several major U.S. and European companies have cut ties with Chinese processors that are accused of forced labor. Coming up, what's football doing on Black Friday? We have NTD's Dave Martin in studio to discuss the action today. Cuddling up to a cow is said to make you forget all your worries. A farm in the UK is offering a new relaxation experience like no other. Stay tuned for that story. And now for your sports news, we welcome NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, Black Friday means that shopping for Plenty of us is for sports fans. It's become a day filled with college football and things like that. Now, will any of the ranked teams be playing have a picture in the playoffs? Yeah, both Oregon and Texas have just one loss apiece. They're both ranked in the top ten. They'll both need others probably to lose for them to have a shot. Now, the rankings still go 25 teams deep, but I don't even know what the point is of ranking teams 11 through 25. Because if you have more than one loss, you're not making the postseason at this point. I mean, there's only four playoff spots to begin with, and there's five undefeated teams. So it's already a logjam at the top. Now, you know, Oregon, for them to do it, they're going to have to win out and beat Washington for the Pac-12 title. Texas, they're going to have to win out as well and win the Big 12 title. But they do have one of the best wins this year when they won at Alabama earlier in the season. So, you know, there's... Neither team is in the driver's seat, but there's still some possibilities left. All right, Dave, and in the NFL today, we have the first Black Friday game. What kind of odds do you think New York has? Uh, not very good. You know, I think it really depends on what they have at quarterback with new quarterback Tim Boyle. Now, they just benched him. In, uh, they just benched Zach Wilson in favor of Boyle, but he does not have a very long track record. This is his fourth start in five seasons. Plus, their offensive line has been decimated by injuries. Who's ever at quarterback doesn't have that much time to throw the ball. Uh, in addition to that, Miami's a great team. Uh, they've got a great offense, a lot of speed there. Uh, so, you know, they are 10-point favorites for a reason. So, Dave, we have some breaking sports news today. Former double amputee Olympic sprinter Oscar Pistorius will be granted parole after spending nearly nine years in prison for the killing of his girlfriend, a tragic case for sure, but why do you think it's getting so much attention? Well, you know, Pistorius, he was the darling of the 2012 Olympics. I mean, the first ever double amputee sprinter to ever qualify for the Olympic Games. It was an incredible story. Other athletes were taking selfies with him. He was very famous, maybe not O.J. Simpson famous, but close enough. Uh, so then, like a year later, at the height of his celebrity, really, he shoots and kills his girlfriend through the bathroom door. He later said he thought she was an intruder. You know, at first uh, they convicted him on a lesser murder charge, uh, but then after some outrage and some appeals, they got him on a more serious one. I think it was 13 years. So it was a tragic story. Uh, now, even though he's still at an age where he can compete at age 37, I would think his athletic days are over with. All right. Thank you very much for the update, Dave. Thanks, guys. Cheers.
And next, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is host to the oldest Thanksgiving Day Parade in the U.S. This year marked the parade's 104th anniversary. Spectators shared their thoughts on the meaning of Thanksgiving. Take a look. The first Philadelphia Thanksgiving parade was held in 1920. The now defunct Gimbel Brothers department store created the parade to be especially kid friendly. Uh, I've seen all the Disney characters, all the movie characters. There's uh, great uh, bands coming by. Uh, it's great for kids. It's very festive. Jim Kenny says Christmas and other holidays are a bit more nostalgic and emotional. However, he says Thanksgiving is different. Thanksgiving is just a kind of neutral holiday where you just enjoy yourself, enjoy the family, enjoy food, good food, uh, and just be thankful for what you have. Warren Kalbach is thankful for his family and his health. So I'm very thankful to still have my mother and father. They're both 86 years old, and I have 12 brothers and sisters, and I have 30 nieces and nephews. Kyle Thompson is sharing the experience with his children and reliving his own childhood in the process. Um, you know, growing up in this city and, and growing up coming to this parade, uh, for me it's being able to share with my family now. I, you know, I'm 35 now, I have two kids, but my daughter's four years old and I've been coming here since I was four, so it's, I think that meeting of being able to sort of, I guess, relive my childhood through my children is kind of neat, so it's cool to be able to share that experience with them. Some people use this holiday as an opportunity to help others and spread hope to the community. And so we're just trying to give back to the community and tell people that there's, there's greater hope than the things that are going on around here. Um, it's a, a time that our country had a little more freedom and it's a time that we get to come together as families, right? That's the most important thing here on earth is our families and the chance that we have to be together during a holiday season is, is really significant and important to me. The Thanksgiving holiday and this parade give people an opportunity to come together, reflect on things they are grateful for, and just have some good old-fashioned fun. Forget spa days. A farm in the UK is offering a new relaxation experience like no other. Cow cuddling. How does it work? Let's take a look. Here's the most trendy way to unwind. Snuggling up with retired cows and brushing them for three hours. At the Dumble Farm in East Yorkshire, tickets for the cow companion sessions sold out quickly, despite a cost of about $50. A lot of people find it very, very relaxing to just sit with the cow, feeling its warmth, feeling its heartbeat, just generally sat with it. For the farm owners, it was important the cows felt as relaxed as the visitors. So the cattle went through five months of training to get used to being hugged and the preparation paid off. I think the cows enjoy it. Um, I think you could see here today that they really enjoy the intention. Um, if they didn't like it, they wouldn't do it. Visitors Amy and Craig booked a cow hugging session as a birthday gift. They found the unique experience very calming. Oh, amazing, I've loved it. Um, so I do suffer with anxiety and depression and just being cuddled up to the cow like makes you forget all your worries. It's just, it's been lovely, really nice experience. I've loved it as much as she has as well. I think it's been brilliant. Dumble Farm turned to cow cuddling after it was forced to sell much of its dairy herd in 2022, when frequent flooding ruined their fields. Offering the cow companion sessions is a way to make the farm viable, and the new venture is on the up and up. 
Scientists have detected the second most powerful cosmic ray ever observed. They published their research yesterday in the journal Science. Cosmic rays are charged particles that travel through space and rain down on Earth constantly. But scientists say extremely high energy ones are exceptional. This new discovery was made by a cosmic ray observatory in Utah's West Desert in May 2021. The scientists named it the Amaterasu particle after the sun goddess in Japanese mythology. According to the study's authors, the cosmic ray carried the energy of about 244 quintillion electron volts. The single most energetic cosmic ray ever observed is the Oh My God particle that carried the energy of about 320 quintillion electron volts. Scientists say they believe this new particle may have originated from beyond the Milky Way galaxy. In case you're wondering, there's no need to be concerned. The atmosphere largely protects humans from any harmful effects from the particles. And that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. And feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. And we'll be back with more stories on Monday.